by the time you're 40 something, you're walking into every room is just a collection of battle scars. Mm-hmm. And so we can spend all our energy trying to hide that or you, yeah. you tell the story for laughs and you move on. You know, to some degree, those wounds have the power that you give them. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Andy Osinga is a singer-songwriter, a guitar hero, and the director of artists and repertoire at Integrity Music. Also, he hosts one of my favorite podcasts, The Pivot, stories of people who have made a change. And he's a great storyteller. I've heard it said that great stories happen to the people who can tell them. That's why I wanted to have Andy Osinga on The Habit Podcast. Andy Osinga, I'm really happy to have you here on this, this special series, Sad Stories Told for Laughs, on the Habit Podcast. Um, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> in, some, in some ways, I think... Uh, I feel like my whole life has led me to this moment. <laughs> well, I was about to say, uh, in, in some ways, your um, sort of public... Stories of public humiliation are, are kind of your brand. Um, <laughs> No, that's not that's not true. But it's definitely a, it's definitely a part of of um, uh, you have some great you just have some great stories of of uh, public chagrin. And I, I wanted uh, the listeners of the Habit Podcast to to be in on some of these. Um, so you're you were not fresh out of high school, but not too far out of high school when you. Um, started the band the normals yeah oh fresh fresh out of high school fresh out of high school we got we got signed um february of my freshman year of college Uh uh-huh put a record out that summer yeah and you were called the normals because you were from normal ohio no normal (laughs) illinois same thing but (laughs) illinois technically (laughs) um think of the most boring town name for a midwestern corn state and it's it's fine Normal Illinois, um, and we we have we have to talk about the the uh, team name for for your high school, the <laughs> Iron Men. <laughs> you've, you've taken notes, bro. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the uh, not, our high school mascot was the Iron Men, and the girls' mascot was the Lady Iron Men. <laughs> <laughs> Do you Which, know if that's still the case? Have they changed? I, I hope so. It's too good. <laughs> but what's best is like that. That never hit me until like I was thirty, and it just one day went. Oh, oh my gosh, the lady men! This is amazing. <laughs> it's speaking of normal. It's amazing what you accept as normal, right? Isn't it though? Yeah, yeah I mean, we're all yeah. boiling frogs, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, so you made a um, uh, after you, so you left you left home to go to college, and then you then you signed up. Then you then the normals. Yeah, Immediate got a record college. deal. Yeah, um, and you made a triumphant return to Normal, <laughs> Illinois. We, we made Why don't a you return. tell us about that? You, you well, are we, now queued up to tell. About yeah, your, this is this is a. Uh, not by no means the most embarrassing story, but um, it was sort of the, it sort of ushered me into the next generation. You know, like I, I have a bunch of uh, embarrassing stories from my childhood, yeah. even like in my, at my church, in my youth group, 
I was always the kid that this stuff happened to, you know, and then I moved away, got a record deal. Yeah, things are going to change. I came back to my hometown. It was the first tour I was ever on. And we were the opening band for the opening band. There were three bands on this okay. tour. We were the very first. We played, you know, four or five songs. And, uh, and to be honest, that was a stretch for our ability. Um, <laughs> what, you played and, how many songs? I think, I think five. I think okay. we played five. Um, uh, poorly. We played them all poorly. And then we, um, but there, because we were the hometown band, um, some people in my town, including my parents, pooled together to promote a concert in my hometown. They booked a big room. It's the same room that Springsteen had done his acoustic tour in the, the year before. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was not sold out when we were there. Yeah. But it was, you know, there were people, uh, a bunch of people, a lot of people I went to high school with. Um, when I, because it was uh, our hometown show, they swapped us that one night and we went in the middle. Um, so it, so there was a, a band, the, the band that, yeah, the middle band was opening for us, which was awesome. And, um, and their lead singer that night um, kind of, hey, got a water bottle and he ran out to try to be really cool to the audience and like throw water on it. Whoa! Whatever. And, um, but the stage was really deep and he didn't get far enough. And so he just got water all over the front of the stage. And so um, we got out there and I got feeling pretty excited about all, you know, all these kids I went to high school with and my parents, friends and whatever. I was like, yeah, I'm a rock star. So I tried to go out kind of in front of the whole band too and like be cool. And, um, and I have, there's one little lick. I there's one, like now I, would consider myself like I'm a pretty decent guitar player. I can play licks, but back then I knew one and I had <laughs> practiced it a lot and I could barely hit it most nights. So I was like, I'm going to go out in front of the audience and like, or way in front of the band to play my lick. And so I did. And then, um, and then I slipped on the water that the guy had just <laughs> left all over the front of the stage and just like, <laughs> just legs up. But yeah, I mean, just hit it hard in front of everybody. That was my triumphant return home. Um, yeah, it was not awesome. Um, and my parents probably also lost money on that <laughs> to watch their son make a fool of himself. <laughs> but there, there, I remember some fireworks. What wasn't there a firework? Yeah, or get, problem or, that same show. Or, that was a different show, but it was nearby. Uh, every time, so every time in my we, imagination, it was all one big catastrophe. No, I, I think we we played in my home, like near my hometown, two or three times. You know, Prophet uh-huh. is not without or is without honor in his hometown. Yeah, you know? right. The closer we would get, the worse our shows were always. <laughs> um, and our guitar player, uh, who now like runs a production company, owns tons of lights and speakers and. He's always into that kind of stuff. Yeah, and he he wanted us to have pyrotechnics in our show, um, which was not the kind of band that we were. Um, and nor did he have a pyrotechnics license or any training. But what he did, what he did have is he lived in Tennessee, where you could just buy fireworks. <laughs> so he rigged up this whole. He's a brilliant. I mean, he is brilliant. Um, and so he rigged up this whole system. Uh, with, with where he t- pulled the fuses out of fireworks and put bottle rocket launchers in there, uh, like model rocket launchers, and then 
hook, rig those up to this pedal board situation. So he had one pedal board for his guitar and another one for these <laughs> pyrotechnics that he had. I mean, could you imagine anything less legal? Um, <laughs> and he, he actually did this on one tour. He got hired to do that for a, one of the other bands on the tour without a license every night. One night he did light a girl's hair on fire in the front row. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I was using a, a straight like microphone stand. I was in this, I was the lead singer of this band. I was right in the middle. And he had unbeknownst to us set all these uh, pyrotechnics all around the stage, but didn't, didn't tell anybody. It was just not, not brilliant. <laughs> so uh, there, like some big moment in a song, you know, it was a, some big top of the chorus or something. Uh, all of a sudden I'm singing and there's just this wall of flame in front of my face. I mean like six inches in front of my face. And I just screamed like not rock and roll scream, like <laughs> screamed in terror into the, <laughs> into the microphone, and, you know, and it took me two seconds and then just this death glare at my friend. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, he just thought it was so cool. I just looked over and he was just like, mm, you know, <laughs> feeling it because um, he knew it was coming yeah. so there was that um yeah i want to return to this idea that you you mentioned that the the prophet has no honor in his own hometown yeah. that seems um it's single original right there what's that it's an original yeah right <laughs> yeah good job wow um uh that seems that seems relevant to our topic I mean, you, for a performer, for an artist, um, so many of these, these stories, these sad stories told for laughs are about that contrast between who you are as an artist, as a performer on the one hand, and who you are as a person. Yeah. And the people who, you know, and there's, there's this, there's this conflict or not, not, I mean, I don't know. There's, I don't know if conflict is the right word, but it's, it's two different things. It is two different things, right? Even, yeah. even yeah. I don't care who you are, mm-hmm. your public persona. Um, even if your public persona is to be a really down to earth guy. Yeah. It's still different from who you are. Yeah. And so you're a little well, bit that, like, a tuxedo. like in, in our circle of friends, like we have friends who are, uh, who mean a lot to people um, who mean a lot to strangers. Yeah. And you hear people talking about your friends in a way that you go, that's not the person I know. <laughs> you know, I know that guy, but yeah. whoever you're thinking of, it's not him. <laughs> I'm glad that you have this person in your mind to inspire you. But, uh, yeah. I, I don't recognize them. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. They're there. Well, I think there's, there's, Right. There's, that's like the, uh, I think that's the effect, right? The effect of, um, of these two different people is that like you're, you're seen as one when you know that you're another, you feel like another. Mm, yeah. But I, I wonder, uh, and I know personally for me, like there's also a cause, which is that I feel like one thing and yet um, I continue to present myself in another or things happen to me or thing, you know what you're, you're trying to fight against it as a kid. You're trying to figure out who you are and communicate to the world. No, who you think I am is not who I am. Huh. And 
that puts you on a path to have this kind of career where then you end up wrestling with that the whole time. Are you saying that's something that it's inevitable? Uh, I don't. I, I imagine if I, I imagine there are some kids you could see and you could look at it and go, it's probably inevitable for that kid. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to have a career trying to figure out how to express themselves like that, Matt, you know, like they're, they're fighting to figure out who they are and for you to know who they are. Huh. Maybe, you, I don't know. So, so that idea of you trying to express who you are, I mean, you're, you're, you've been doing this a long time. Yeah. Um, you're deep in your forties. Um, I'm not, I'm not deep. Okay. I'm, all right. I'm, I, I, I I'm in them. Okay, you're sorry. I, I thought you were maybe I thought uh, you were give, older. Give me, give me two I don't know how years. old you are. Uh, but I, <laughs> anyway, that's not the that's not that's not the point. <laughs> Did, didn't know that was a hot button, by the way. Until you hit it. <laughs> you're in your forties. Okay. Yeah. Um, are you this idea of trying to make sure people know who you are? Yeah. Okay. Let me let me tell you another sad story for laughs. Okay. Uh, from my from when I was a kid. And we'll, and we, I can, you, you can learn a lot about me from this story. Okay. Um, so I was a nerdy kid. Like I, uh, I was into Legos and Star Trek. I did not okay. really know how to, it's not a great social animal. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then this was probably, I think this was in uh, eighth grade. It was in eighth grade. And it, in eighth grade at like school, I barely existed. I was very mm-hmm. quiet. I didn't really have many friends. I just kind of like, well, you know, back row, stay out of trouble. Um, but at church, you know, there was a youth group and I was a little more, I was pretty vocal and I, mm-hmm. I had some friendships. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was always desperately trying to be cool and, and failing. And, um, and there, uh, one morning at Sunday, so they would have Sunday school at like, nine and then you go to big church at 10 30 you know this um and uh uh, somebody had a little tony the tiger suction cup that had been in their cereal that morning and they were taking turns just like sticking it on their foreheads and being stupid i was like oh let me try let me try and i put it and i kept it on longer than anybody else what i didn't realize is that that um was going to give me essentially a bright purple completely spherical hickey (laughs) in the middle of my forehead like three inch circle yeah and um which you know you can't wash off i remember going to the bathroom trying to wash it off and was not washing <laughs> off you know i didn't know what was happening this poor kid got a buzz cut there's no hiding <laughs> and um and my you know it was so ingrained in that culture like you you don't ever leave church nothing will leave make you leave church so i remember my people snickering at me and me sitting in the front of the in the church there and like my mom was in the choir just sitting there crying at everyone laughing at her son but we didn't leave we sat through the whole thing and then um and she bought me uh makeup like cover stick that you put over a pimple to try to cover it up but yeah. just to cover it up it was so bright to cover it up it looked like i had uh you know uh play-doh or you know silly putty on my forehead this is like a klingon uh like a Star Trek reference. And um, (laughs) 
you know, it was just like, there's this torturous, I was 14, the worst time ever for like the nerdy kid to do something stupid like that. Um, and, you know, like if I go back to Illinois right now, if I go back to that church, like someone will bring it up now. Wow. I'm 42 years old. Someone will bring up that dumb thing I did when I was 14. And um, there's probably an element of what I got into that was pushing back on, no, that's not who I am. Wow. You know? Yeah. Listen to my songs. Listen to, I am not just this kid that stupid things keep happening to. And that was one of 80 of those things. Yeah. Now, my, of course, what's hilarious is my music career has been pretty much the exact same. Like, I'm still a guy that trips and falls. I have nine toes. You know, like... <laughs> 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 like, like you know that that kind of is who i am it's not only who i am you know well yeah okay so what do we make of i, I feel like there's some um i think there's some it, it it feels significant to me that you're a person with nine toes and yet you wear flip-flops i can't i can't wear flip-flops because i don't stay on but i wear slides Okay. Or chakas. Okay. So I, I guess, so, okay. That, that I'm was, not going to hide it. That yeah. was insensitive of me to say <laughs> no, flip No, it's just hilarious because I can't grip. Yeah. Okay. And so um, you, you don't keep your toes covered. Always, right? And that, I mean, that feels like, that, that feels like that's a metaphor for something. Sure. Yeah. I mean... I mean, it, uh, first of all, Andy Golahorn wrote a song about it and put it on a record, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Everybody already knows. Yeah, right. Uh, I remember a high school girlfriend found me on Facebook years later. It's like, hey, I went to this concert, and somebody sang a song. I think it was about you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, what's the point of, I mean, that's like, like, that stuff happens to all of us, right? Like, mm-hmm. Well, and. And we all, whether we, whether it's like a physical thing, like we're missing a toe or it's an emotional thing, like we're all, by the time you're 40 something, you're walking in into every room is just a collection of battle scars. Mm-hmm. And so we can spend all our energy trying to hide that or, you know, you, yeah. you tell the story for laughs and you move on, you know, I mean, if you can, yeah. you know, some, some are deep wounds that are sure. not. Right. ever going to be that you know like this is not that this is right silly you know yeah um uh but i think you know to some degree those wounds have the power that you give them mm-hmm. um probably to all degree but it, you know often we don't often the work is is figuring out the power that we've given them and then trying to reclaim it you know yeah. um and it, a silly thing like that is like, yeah, I mean, if I was probably a lot, it, middle school me would have hit it for sure. Mm-hmm. But me now doesn't care. Yeah, right. Uh, and now it's funny. Like I, and I forget about it. I was at a thing, like, that thing we were talking about in Texas last week. And there's some people that I work with that like I see every day who saw me in San. I was like, dude, what happened to your foot? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought you knew this. I thought everybody knew this. Um, anyway. It was a, I, I guess we should say it's a, it was a lawnmower accident. Oh, it was, yes, it was a lawnmower accident um, uh, 16 years ago. 
mm-hmm. a couple weeks, 16 and a couple weeks ago. Okay. Uh, I was listening to a random good game song in my backyard and I slipped under the mower. Um, yeah. The song was a Pope was a lady and uh, which is still a great song. <laughs> and, uh, and then Andy Golahorn wrote a song about it. Then he learned that he had the wrong toe. So he wrote a different <laughs> song about it and that one's on a record. And that song is called gross beef. <laughs> One of the uh, sort of categories of sad stories told by um, performers that I've noticed is the shady promoter story. Oh, yes. And I know you've got at least one doozy. Oh, I've got, I've got a few doozies. Uh, I've got a couple of promoters who walked around all day crying. Um, a couple of promoters were, who walked. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that was tough. Um, so that wasn't shady promoters. That was just unsuccessful, (laughs) unsuccessful promoters. Um, uh, my previously, uh, referenced parents might've been those. Um, (laughs) uh, yeah, no, we played this uh, when I was with Cademan's call, we played this festival in, I think it was South Carolina that, um, it was a couple like, at the time, I would say we were sort of a B-level act. We sort of were past the, the prime of the band's days. Okay. And, um, but, you know, could get an audience. And So you and, weren't on your way up. You are on your way down at this point. <laughs> sure. But that was my whole career with that band. Um, <laughs> the long fall back. To, and uh, it was us and Point of Grace and Big Daddy Weave. I think it was, <laughs> was the three bands. And there were a couple local bands. And... Um, and it was, I mean, it was nice. There's a big stage that had all the amps and drums that we'd requested, uh, tons of uh, vendors, you mm-hmm. know, food trucks and, uh, and, a, and a big crew of like volunteers who were helping out who were uh, from like a local church. And we we're all like, man, this day is going to be awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and every band had, a, had their own, like they, and we all had our, we were there in tour buses, but they, they also had like, little Winnebago trailers for everybody. Like super nice. Like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. First annual. And they open the gates and nobody, I mean, not one person shows up. When I say not one person, I'm not exaggerating. Like not one actual person showed up. So there are volunteers. I mean, there's hundreds of people there uh-huh. who were working at the event. Maybe, uh-huh. maybe a hundred people who were there uh-huh. and not one single attendee. Nobody and paid. And nobody bought a ticket. Nobody bought a ticket. Not sure if tickets were even sold. Uh, they definitely had not been marketed. Um, and it, we started get. There started to be this sort of hubbub around, like, what is happening? And it, um, it turns out that it was some sort of money laundering scheme. Um, I don't. I don't. I've never had the kind of money that you needed to launder, so I don't know really how this works. All I know is that somebody needed to lose a lot of money, and this was how they were going to do it. Amazing. And, um, but it didn't need to be successful. It just had to happen. Wow. And so, I mean, that's a lot of work they put into this. It's it's amazing <laughs> like, you, that you you, you could have just gotten a real job people man. in your money laundering scheme. Yeah, like you did a good job. Like I've I've had people who tried really hard to do this well that did a much worse job than you <laughs> wanting to fail um so but contractually everybody had to play like a minimum of 45 minutes or something so we just like stood out in this empty field like 
12 of us and watched the other bands like took turns <laughs> and then and then we had to go get paid we still needed to get paid oh yeah and you know and that was the deal like for us to get paid we needed to play so we did play to no one and uh, or i should say we played to point of grace <laughs> and <laughs> And a couple of random volunteers. And, um, and then, so our road manager, uh, who is now a worship pastor, Kevin Mann, okay. uh, was our road manager at the time. And um, he went into this trailer to, to get our money, to, to uh, get the check. And he, and he walks in, and there's a guy sitting there that he has not seen all day, suit and tie, uh, sitting at the little table in a little Winnebago. Uh, there's a there's a stack of cash and a pistol on the table, <laughs> and the guy goes, uh, you know, we don't have enough money to cover your whole contract, but we think will this do? And you know, the answer is yes, sir. That will be fine. Thank you. <laughs> um, so Kevin sheepishly takes you know a half of the money that we were supposed to get paid. It's like guys, we got to get out of here right now. Um, <sighs> Uh, but the, there were big, big fences around this whole place uh, that were deadbolt locked, big chains, and we, and we couldn't get out. And um, we're like, "What on earth?" Like, we literally locked us in, and we're not sure at what, like, it, whatever the the thing was that they needed us to do. We were out. We were done. So we were going to get out of there, and we we couldn't get out. And the way that the Usually uh, bands rent, they like lease a bus. It's like you rent a car at an airport. Like you, you, there are companies that own buses and they have drivers on staff and you rent the buses for a few days. Um, unless you're a band that is touring a whole lot and it makes the right investment to buy a bus. We never owned a bus. Uh, neither did Point of Grace. Big Daddy Weave owned their own bus. Um, which is really helpful because... <laughs> Uh, they were also like, dude, we got to get out of here. And, um, uh, somebody, so one of their guys was like, all right, everybody, everybody follow us. And, um, and so the bus is lined up and, and big daddy weaves bus just rammed that gate. I mean, just like, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, some old seventies like movie just like <laughs> took it out. And then all of these buses just tore out of there afterwards. And like, that was it. That was the thing. Wow. Never heard from anybody again. Uh, we did not play that festival again the next year. You didn't. You, you missed I don't it the next know, year. But I don't know that there was a second annual. <laughs> um, so that was, that was what. Now, have I, I do have another story I feel like I need to tell you. Okay. Have I told you about the time I ran monitors? No. You ran monitors? Okay. Yeah. So. I don't know what that means. Okay, so when you go see a, a band play, uh, they're the speakers that are pointed towards the audience. Okay. There's, there's the sound guy, the front of house guy. Okay. Um, which for almost every band I've ever been with has been Harold Rubens, uh-huh. uh, you know. Um, he was our front of house guy with, when I played with Stephen Chris Chapman. He does the Christmas tour with Andrew, and he mm-hmm. was Cademan's guy. Okay. Um, so we've done hundreds of shows together. And... Um, uh, and then, and then you have the monitor person who's running either the in-ear mixes for the artist, or like if the, the artist has monitors on the stage, like small speakers that are pointed up towards them. Mm-hmm. And typically, uh, every person in the band is going to have their own mix. 
So the monitor person is, is uh, the mixes don't have to be near as nice, but they're, they're, they're doing five, six, eight, ten different mixes. Okay. Uh, whereas the front of house person just got one. It's just what you hear in the audience. Okay. So um, I, I played with this band in Cayman's Call for like seven years, but um, a couple weeks before I joined the band, I guitar teched for them. I needed mm-hmm. some cash. They needed a guitar tech. I was going to take over afterwards. So just come out and do this and you can kind of, you know, we'll kind of rehearse while you're out here. So yeah. great. Um, I'd been married, I think two or three weeks. So they're like, bring, bring Allison. She can come too. So we hopped on a bus and I was uh, a very bad guitar tech. Um, uh, but guitar tech's job is to keep the guitars tuned guitars in tune and, and bring them out at the right time. That means yeah. you have to pay attention, which has never been my great <laughs> <your> strong point. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we're at that. We were playing at it was the Stone Mountain uh, Amphitheater in Stone Mountain, Georgia. It's about four or five thousand seater amphitheater. Beautiful place. And um, I, we were, I think we were the second band to the. So I think there was maybe one band. I think Third Day was playing after us, and mm-hmm. then, uh, but it was a whole all day festival, and it was right before uh, soundboards now are digital, and um, you know you can save things and recall them and, and take your little hard drive to the next console and it'll pull it up just what you had at the other one. Um, but back in this time, which was probably, this was probably 2002. Uh, yeah, we went in 2002. Um, they were still analog boards. And so uh, all the bands would soundcheck first thing in the morning. And then all the opening bands would play, local bands would play during the day. And then, and then the headliners would, would start late afternoon and each of them had their own console on the side of the stage for monitors. Mm-hmm. And they were these analog things. And, um, and uh, so we had done that. We had rehearsed, we had sound checked at the time the band had seven people in it and our singer had fallen and broken his wrist and he couldn't play guitar. So Randall good game, who was actually opening at the time um, was playing guitar, filling in. So there were eight people in the band. Okay. And uh, so, and each person had two big speakers on the floor. So they each had a, uh, these two giant speakers. And then there were two giant speakers on the side of the stage too, called side fills. So there were nine different mixes. There were 18 giant speakers on the stage. And, um, but that day our, so we always had a front of house guy and a monitor guy that were great. And we mm-hmm. trusted him and knew him well. That day was Harold's daughter's birthday. And, and mm-hmm. so he, took the day off to go to Houston for his daughter's birthday. And so our monitor guy ran in front of house and then a truck driver who worked at a sound company was like, we're going to pay him a couple, a little bit of money to run monitors for us. Great. Um, and he was good. Sounded great. Um, uh, what you do after you do those sound checks, you t- put these big pieces of tape across the board that say, don't touch this. This right. is set up. But somebody had come along and, zeroed out the board, taking every knob back to zero. Like I must've thought it had been used already. Mm-hmm. And so it erased all the work that they'd done. And so the, that, that, uh, sub monitor guy walks up, looks at it and goes, Nope. And got in the truck and left oh, wow. the truck, by the way, that all our gear needs to go into <laughs> later that night <laughs> is left. So, the, and we found this out about 10 minutes before we're supposed to go on stage. And the, the band looks at me like, guess you're a monitor guy. Um, and now 
I could probably do this because I've been in studios and I know how that stuff works. But at the time I had not been trained on any of that. I had no idea. I could barely play guitar. And um, so, uh, but it's set up like a grid. There's sort of like, here's all these different uh, speakers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, and there's knobs and here's all the instruments, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, so the sets of speakers are on the left, the, all the different instruments and, and microphones are, are at the bottom and it's a grid. You, and so people want more of this and you kind of find their, their knob and you turn it up. Um, and then, and there's a, anyway, there, there's a lot, and there's a bunch of knobs that I don't know what they do. Yeah. And so it sounds terrible, but they have to go on. There's 5,000 people out there. And so we get it basically enough. Everybody can hear like the lead singer and the bass guitar or something, you know, enough they can sort of play, but it's not sounding good. So the whole time I'm trying to tune guitars and run them out there. People are doing that little dance where they're pointing at their instrument and yeah, right. waving their fingers around. And <laughs> I'm going, Oh, no, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> and, um, and I'm, you know, throwing guitars at my wife and yelling at her. We've been married for three weeks, run this out to clip, you know, or whatever. And, um, yeah. So anyway, it finally, we're five or six songs into it. It's finally going. It's like leveled out. It's okay. It's not sounding great, but it's fine. The band's able to perform. And then um, Derek Webb, who was the guitar player at the time, had set down an acoustic guitar and he forgot. He had a little pedal that mutes it, but he forgot to mute it. So it started feeding back. So I have a button that's mute. So I muted it and problem solved. He plays a couple songs on the electric guitar. Then he goes back to the acoustic guitar and picks it up, and he can't hear it. Nobody can hear it. Everybody's doing the dance the way, yeah. hey, and more acoustic guitar. More. So I turn it up, and I turn it up, and there's a little knob at the very top. It says gain. Uh-huh. I turn that one up. <laughs> there's a fader. I still don't know to my to, is it what the fader does. Um, I literally turn every single knob on 10. I mean, the whole thing. And again, there's 18 giant speakers on the stage. Oh, no. And everything probably should have been at two. Yeah. And and then I realized oh, it's muted, <laughs> so Oof. I unmute it, and <laughs> I know this has been a long story, but at that moment, that's the loudest noise I've ever heard in my life. Just this, <laughs> it, it, it just roars, and there are eight people on stage. Four of them immediately fall over. The music just stops. It's just dead on, and I, you know, find it again and mute it. But it's the band is just laying on the ground. The audience has no idea what's happening, and then the lead singer all of a sudden starts going, "I can't hear, I can't hear," and he runs off the stage holding his head. They call an ambulance because his oh. hearing did not come back. Really, it ended up coming back later that night, but it took her like a couple hours. And that was the end of their set. Like to the audience, the band the band sucks. The band gets a little better. They're playing along. All of a sudden, everyone falls over, and a guy yells off screaming. Like that was the end of the night. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, third day. Um, so anyway, that's the, that's what happened the one time I ran monitors. It's pretty awesome. That's amazing. I've never heard that story. Yeah, it's a pretty great story. Yeah. Um, okay, your. Um, you know, your favorite thing that I've ever known you to do is the Leonard, the Lonely Astronaut no. record. Right. I, th- I mean, I just still think it's it's just one of my favorite things of all time. And and so, you know, 
that's been a while. That was, I guess, 2011. It was this. It came out the same time my Flannery O'Connor book came out. I, I, I know that those came out the no, same. It would have been, been in 2012 when that record. Twelve. Came out. Okay. Yeah. I made it in 11. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, and so you built a little. You recorded it in a studio that looked like a spaceship. Yep. And then um, our friend Kim made you a spacesuit. Yes. She and you did. wore the spacesuit while you recorded this concept album about an astronaut named Leonard. Mm-hmm. So this, you were the lonely, you, it was this sort of strange performance art that nobody was there to even see you do. Right. Because you were just kind of. Yeah. It was about three years before Instagram could have been helpful in like communicating that story. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. And then when you went out and toured that show, that, that album, you wore mm-hmm. the. I did. I wore the, the spacesuit. The spacesuit. The spacesuit. Yeah. 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 And brought some pieces of the spacesuit to or a spaceship to like put up on stage. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, which is really putting yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes people came to the shows and, or usually people came to the shows and sometimes not very many people came to the shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were some good ones. There were some not so good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I don't. I have just. I've often thought about that, and I thought about you. Sort of first. I mean, the the songs themselves. I felt like there was a lot of Andy O singing in them, right? I mean, yeah, all your songs. But but it just it felt like just the songs themselves felt a little bit vulnerable. Yeah, it was an extremely was personal record. Yeah, and I think the the act of the character, however effective the communication of that was um, uh, it, it allowed for some distance to say, all right, it, it gave some space to like, I can go into this stuff if it's not me yeah. singing about my family or my right. friends, but it's this guy singing about, you know, if I can change enough details mm-hmm. to, 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 you know, so that the names have been changed to protect the innocent kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just the thought of you putting on a spacesuit for crying. And I know you're, you're nerdier than, than me, for instance. Um, and so, you know, it may not be quite as odd for, you know, for you to put on a spacesuit as say, it, 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 me it, or as the more. years have gone, it has sounded stranger and stranger. That I did that. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I just, I love, I love the way you put yourself out there. And then I think, you know, think about those, those, Nights. I, I don't. I don't know. If there were a lot of nights. But I know there's at least one or two nights where it just really was a poorly attended show. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it didn't. So right after we made that record, our home flooded. We we oh, lost yeah. just about everything we owned, and we were living in this uh, tiny rental condo that uh, our insurance company was was paying for. And um, the months of marketing I would have done, like I made the record. And was able to devote myself to it. And then there were these months that I needed to market the shows. Yeah. Then I was an independent artist at the time. And yeah. like, I was doing all that. And, um, and I just couldn't do it. There wasn't, I right. didn't have the headspace. Uh, um, yeah. Taking care of the home and a, a brand new baby. And so I was just like sort of crossing my fingers that someone in the town had told somebody else that we were going to mm-hmm. play a show. And some places they did and they were great. Mm-hmm. And then there were places like Cincinnati where, you know, there were, five of us on stage and nine people out there. It was a little, little like the point of grace thing, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. it wasn't as great of a story. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was right. just it was just an actual lonely man in a spacesuit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, one one of the um, you know, I, I think a fascinating dynamic for the for a performer like you is that you are called upon to put it all out there. Yeah, and if you don't put it all out there, it's not going to work at all. Yeah. Um, and yet you put it all out there with no guarantee that it's going to be received, right? The, the, the people who are in the audience, it's, it's a very different dynamic, right? I mean, it's, they're there for a show. Yeah. They're there to be entertained. They're for, for, yeah. Um, it asks of the audience 15 bucks in two hours. It asks of the artist sort of bring your entire life yeah. and skill into this these few moments and be wholly present with us. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> oh, you're, you know, I, I, it, it, it was, it was as, as, as you were on that tour wearing your spacesuit. I think that's when it really came home to me, what it costs people like you, hmm. you know, the performer. I mean, we think of the performer as being the, you know, the rock star hero. Um, but it really is costly. Um, and I don't know what, I, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, I, that's, that may be the end of my observation, but it, it was for whatever reason, it was you doing that tour is where it really, the pathos of your situation really came home to me and, and what and what y'all people like you are doing for the rest of us giving us something we can't get for ourselves oh man that's that's cool of you to say that and and um and i, I mean i recognize that in artists that i love you know and you know that when you go to see a, a concert or something and you can tell immediately when the artist is present mm-hmm. you know and is engaged and, and when they're not and man doesn't matter how great your seats are if that if that artist is not <laughs> able to be there that night yeah. emotionally or whatever in whatever yeah. it is stand-up comedy music whatever yeah. like uh you know acting like it just there's, yeah. there's nothing and um you know for better or worse i i sort of i i don't have it my my gear shifter is tends to be stuck in give it all baby <laughs> um probably there were times when it would have been wise to not do so um yeah uh, yeah, but also well, I think that you know, at least you can look back and you go, man, I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't tell any lies, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that gap way. between what what the performers investing and what the audience is investing, and that gap between the persona of the performer and the the person who is the the performer. Yeah, you know, those gaps are kind of where all these stories in this series live you know yeah yeah um, oh for sure right that's that's where the that's where the wall you know the wall gets a little thin <laughs> yeah right and, you, and they, they see they see through um yeah well well okay, okay. Well, 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 last story i'll tell you is super quick but have, okay. have i ever told you about this one when there was a season when i was in cademans when um uh, my wife was pregnant 
and two of the other wives in the band were pregnant. Um, one of the, one of them was in, who was in the band. And so we did this tour where he had three pregnant women on a tour bus. Okay. And, um, and, and Cliff and I would talk about this at length some evenings on stage. And we were playing at this big Baptist church in Texas. And, um, and I don't know now what I was trying to say or how I was trying to phrase it, but what came out of my mouth was, ladies, don't get too close to this band or we will get you pregnant. Oh, no. <laughs> Again, yeah. not what I meant to say. Not, not how, how I meant to communicate. Right. Usually people know. say stuff like there's something in the water or something. something like that. it, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. But, but that, that's not how I said it. <laughs> Uh, well, on that note, on Andy, that we're note, kind of out of time. Um, I don't know if that helps your point, but it's just a good story. I had to make sure you knew. <laughs> I've never heard that one. All right, Andy Osinga, let's. We better wrap it the up best, there. Jonathan, just, uh, thank you. The I know we have uh, only scratched the surface on your uh, stories of public uh, embarrassment, but uh, but we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks for being here. You're the best, dude. Talk to you soon. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.